Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverinson, producer Gabby Burke in for Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. On this Thursday morning, the first day of February here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. February is Black History Month, and this week we're also continuing to celebrate Catholic, uh, National Catholic Schools Week, I should say, all across our country. Now, coming up in a few minutes, you'll hear my conversation with retired Catholic school teacher Ann Flynn with much more on National Catholic Schools Week. Also, want to remind you that Lent is is literally right around the corner with uh, Ash Wednesday coming up less than two weeks away. So you can make your Lenten journey with your parish this year with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. These free daily videos are bite-sized explorations of prayer and postures that will transform your perspective on the Mass and re-energize your parish community. So you can pray for Fast and serve these 40 days with 40 lessons and with Father Rocky's weekly Eucharistic encounter. So sign up this morning and share with your family at relevantradio.com slash Lent. That's relevantradio.com slash Lent. Want to bring in my partner, Glenn. Hey, Glenn, good morning. What are a few of the stories making headlines here on this Thursday morning? Well, many may have wanted to, at one time or another, holler at Mark Zuckerberg and others in charge of social media, and Congress had the, the chance <laughs> yesterday, and uh, he actually uh, apologized for uh, what's happening to kids online, John. Yeah, it was a very uh, emotional hearing. Uh, there were uh, CEOs uh, from all the major big tech uh, platforms like uh, Meta, Snap, X, TikTok, uh, Discord, and uh, the families of the victims who unknowingly have bought fentanyl off of social media and have died or were victims of eating disorders or self-harm and suicide because of this harmful social media content. They were all on hand. Uh, these families were holding up pictures of their lost ones, and it, it got rather heated and rather emotional, pressed uh, by uh, GOP Senator Josh Hawley. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, uh, actually uh, apologized after he was uh, pressed with all these uh, folks, all these families, uh, these victims um, on hand watching. Um, here's part of the exchange uh, between Senator uh, Hawley and uh, Facebook uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Don't you think they deserve some compensation for what your platform has done? Help Senator with counseling services? Help with dealing with the issues that your your services cause? Our, our job is to make sure that we build tools to help keep people safe. Are you going to compensate them? Senator, our job and what we take seriously is making sure that we build industry-leading tools to find harmful to content, make money. take it off the services, uh, to make money, and to build tools that empower parents. So you didn't take any people. action. You didn't That's take any true, action. Senator. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't That's compensated a single not, victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? 
Would I'm, you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I, 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 I'm sorry families have, have suffered and this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing industry big efforts to uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. Glenn, as you can hear by the tone, it got rather heated uh, and quite an emotional uh, moment there as uh, Mark Zuckerberg, after being grilled by Senator Hawley, uh, actually did apologize. It was a little tough to hear there at the end. Uh, the, the mics uh, weren't directly in front of him, but uh, I think that the, the parents that were there, uh, I'm sure, appreciated it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, all the Internet stuff. It's a superpower to be used for good or evil. And like so many superpowers out there, uh, they're often used for good and evil. And, you know, his parents were looking for, for any help we can get to be vigilant. Yeah, no no doubt. And um, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham um, went on to say that nothing will change until social media companies uh, can actually be sued over uh, material posted on their platforms. Uh, he called out Section 230 of uh, the 1996 Communications Decency Act, which shields Internet pr- uh, service providers from being liable for content that uh, users post. So uh, th- that was another part of the hearing that, that got pretty heated as well. He doesn't believe that anything is going to change until... Uh, uh, p- people like uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook and all the other uh, platforms can actually, you know, feel it in in the pocket. Yeah, that uh, tends to to focus uh, one a little bit more. Uh, running a giant business, uh, if there is going to be some pinch on the pocketbook there, so that might be uh, w- what's needed eventually when uh, some things are sorted out. Uh, you you wonder what will what will come from this now? There's a they're hearing and an apology, and uh, yeah, will will there be some laws passed? I understand that today, uh, many of those same parents, uh, the families of of the victims, uh, are going to be um, lobbying um, some of the members of Congress today so that something actually gets done. Mm, Yeah, yeah. you know, so many ways our kids can be attacked uh, these days, uh, you know, not only, you know, in in real life, but uh, also in this uh, alternate online life. Um, meanwhile, uh, the House uh, is passing a uh, big uh, tax package. Uh, uh, tell us about it, uh, Glenn. $78 billion worth. Uh, it also includes expanded child care, child tax credit, we should say, uh, for passing the House. That might be something that appeals to, to Democrats, but uh, you know, it, it's very unclear how, how this will move in the Senate, John. Yeah, it's it's one of these things that you need 60 votes to pass, and uh, we will wait and see if uh, if it makes it through. You know, it, it, uh, it's it's really tough to get both sides to agree on uh, just about anything these days in, in such a uh, divided uh, Congress that we have. Yeah, it, it is. And in an election year, it can make certain things far easier and uh, a lot of the regular business uh, a lot tougher. All right. Yesterday, uh, we celebrated uh, Hot Chocolate Day. Today, it's National Freedom Day, uh, Glenn, here on uh, this first day of February. Yeah, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring as uh, we look at various aspects of, uh, of Black History Month here.
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, this day was actually founded to celebrate uh, the freedoms that we enjoy as uh, as American citizens, freedoms that we should never, ever take for granted. Um, this uh, particular day, National Freedom Day, uh, it commemorates the day back in 1865 when President Abraham Lincoln signed what would later become the 13th Amendment. Uh, and this uh, is, is important because effectively it ended slavery in the United States. We've come a long, long way uh, since those days, but, uh, you know, we still have a ways to go. Yeah, it's uh, it's legally there, but uh, we still need to to work to treat one another uh, with love and dignity. Yeah, just looking at uh, at the meaning of this day, you know, it's so easy to take for granted, you know, the freedoms that we have in this country and uh, freedoms that other countries uh, don't have as part of their uh, as far as as far as their constitutions are, are concerned. And so, uh, I think it, it's it's a good thing to, to take a moment and, and remember the, the freedoms that we do. Um, that we do have here as, as, as American citizens. No argument there, John, no argument at all. For sure. All right. Let freedom ring on this national freedom day. Glenn, as always, uh, thanks so much. Hey, sure thing, John. First things first, we start every morning, as we always do, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all of the many blessings. We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine, uh, peace in our nation, peace in our church and in our families, and ultimately peace in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, a patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And every morning, we always invoke the Holy Spirit and ask for his help when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. On Thursdays, as you well know, I always take a moment uh, to remind you that uh, that Thursday is the day that our blessed Lord Jesus instituted the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday. So uh, on this day, it's a good day to reflect on the gift that we have in the Holy Eucharist. And in fact, during uh, this uh, time of Eucharistic revival that the bishops have called for, it's also a, a good opportunity to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament sometime today. Uh, uh, if you got a chance, it doesn't have to be a long uh, visit. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from Matthew 6:33. Jesus the Lord says, "But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well." The legendary NFL coach Vince Lombardi used to say, God, family, Green Bay Packers. Uh, Even though I'm a Bears fan, his words are a powerful reminder. We need to put God number one in our life, then our family, and then our profession or our vocation. The Lord needs to be number one in our life, and then everything else falls into place. So let's make Jesus the Lord of your life. And we always pray with great confidence from the chaplain of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. 
We need to take a short break. When we come back, you'll hear my conversation with retired Catholic school teacher Anne Flynn uh, with her take on National Catholic Schools Week and the impact of Catholic education on our children. So stay with us. There is much more to come here on uh, this Thursday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Gabby and for Sarah this morning. Thanks so much for tuning in across much of our nation here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As always, you can send us an email directly if you have any thoughts or story ideas. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, as you may know, this week we are celebrating National Catholic Schools Week. It started back in 1974 to celebrate Catholic education in the U.S. Did you go to a Catholic school? I can tell you firsthand that this reporter went to a Catholic schools, and I probably wouldn't be hosting this show if it weren't for my Catholic education and formation. Uh, What about your children? Do your uh, kids uh, currently attend a Catholic school? And have you ever wondered why enrollment at Catholic schools uh, has been growing in these last couple of years? Uh, Could it be that uh, the mission and the method of a Christ-centered education is part of the reason that Catholic schools are growing? I want to share a fascinating conversation conversation I had with retired Catholic school teacher Ann Flynn on National Catholic Schools Week. Ann uh, had 20 years of teaching experience in Catholic schools. She was named Minnesota's uh, Honor Teacher of the Year in 2021 uh, from the Minnesota Independent Schools Forum. Uh, she uh, is a, uh, a cancer survivor, uh, a wife, a mother, and a grandmother to seven children. Here's my conversation with Ann Flynn. Good morning, Anne. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. Thank you for having me. And can you explain to us um, why uh, we celebrate uh, a Catholic Schools Week across our nation this week? Well, it is an important day, or actually an important week to celebrate. We actually started on Sunday. Um, Normally, our Catholic Schools Week, it's a big kickoff, there's a big mass and everything, and then we start celebrating the whole week. And it is important to um, kind of assign some special time to celebrate what we've done. We don't get a lot of um, news, so to speak, so it's a way to get us out into the community because a lot of the Catholic School Week activities include um you know, uh, community service projects for the kids that they have to perform and invitations for the community to come into the school to see what we do. And um, so we don't get a lot of, you know, promotions. You know, you don't hear a lot about Catholic schools and what's going on in the buildings and that kind of thing. This is an opportunity for us to um, do that and for people to experience this. It's always been a vital part of the decision-making, you know, for every family and every parent. And it's a week-long occasion so people can kind of get a glimpse of our, of our formation, our programs, and the teachings that the Catholic schools have to offer. Can you talk about the, the theme for this National Catholic Schools Week? Yes, our theme has been faith, excellence, and service. And we 
put them actually in that order for a reason. Bates coming first, of course, the excellence of our education, and then taking that excellence and moving it into service, um, service of others, and especially in the in the direct community where your school is located. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a nice theme, but it, it really does have a meaning because uh, f- uh, faith being number one, this is why parents send their kids to Catholic schools uh, for, for the faith formation, uh, for the pursuit of excellence, and also to teach them uh, about service. Absolutely. And I think a lot of families really appreciate, even non-Catholic families I've dealt with, when I um, finished up my last year um, at my school, we um, probably had almost a third of the students being non-Catholic, obviously Christian mostly, but a lot of non-Catholics. And it's um, actually a great opportunity for our children in the classroom to go home and evangelize to these parents. Um, so it's a, it's a win-win situation. And I think people that aren't Catholic see the value in it, even though they aren't Catholics per se, they're Christian usually, or at least see what value there is in having a Catholic or Christian background in education. Just the way that people are in the building. I've had so many people that will go on tours of our our building and say, there's just a vibe here that you can just sense the community. You can sense that the children are really truly loved and that the people that are teaching your kids all the way and, and not just teaching them, all the way down to the custodians, they are fantastic. They're there to help and serve the kids. And you do, you get a, a sense of we're here to serve you and your families. We're not here to take over and as, as parents of your kids. No, 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 no. We are charged with being a support to the parents. And I think that's what makes us unique in the education system. I find it uh, fascinating. Uh, my son attends a, a Catholic prep school, and uh, there's um, there's Muslim kids, there's Greek Orthodox kids, a, a, a few um, other Christian denominations, some Lutheran kids, and yet those parents send those kids to that Catholic school because they know they're going to get a good education. That's true. And they also, I think, know and realize that we don't push our um, Catholicism onto our non-Catholic students. That's not our, our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And we can present it. And, we, you know, people are, are told that when you do have your child in our Catholic school, we are going to be teaching Catholicism. So, you know, but we aren't going to push it. We're not going to force you to be this. Because, like I said, we are not the first teachers. The parents are. And second of all, the Holy Spirit pretty much trumps everything that we all do, right? Um, so we'll let him do his job, and and uh, we do ours. That is a great perspective. We can never forget the role of the Holy Spirit. We just plant the seeds, and the Holy Spirit does the, the rest. Now, Anne, you being a retired Catholic school teacher, uh, you know, two plus decades uh, as, as a teacher uh, in Catholic schools. What have you seen firsthand in terms of the impact that Catholic schools have uh, on our children? Well, I have my, had my own two children go through Catholic schools, so I can see in them, now that they're adults and having their own children, um, the impact. I'm so grateful for their teachers. Um, I, I can't even put words to it. There, there are a couple of standouts, ones, but all of them have their back. They all helped guide them 
when I couldn't kind of thing, you know, how, especially our male teachers, our male Catholic school teachers was so important. They play an important role. And, um, cause I, I me being a mom of boys and it's, um, they've, they've helped so much. I can see it. They have a work ethic that I think most kids I see don't have. They have a sense of right and wrong that is powerful and help help them tremendously in their decision making as parents now. It's it's a I would highly recommend it. I can't put my words in there today. Sorry. Well, and I can tell you, like I mentioned in the uh, intro, uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here hosting this show, talking to you about Catholic Schools Week if it wasn't for my Catholic education, beginning from kindergarten, grammar school, high school, uh, and even college. Um, you know, I'm so grateful uh, to the Sisters of Christian Charity that taught me in grammar school, the Benedictine monks in high school, the Franciscans in college. Um, I, you know, the formation, the, the seeds of the faith, even though they were dormant for a while there when I was a young guy, young and dumb, um, they they have uh, they they did they did the job. That's something that I think all teachers, especially teachers of the really little ones, kindergarten through maybe fifth or sixth grade, you wonder. I always wonder. I taught second grade for many years, and you wonder did you did you make an impact? You know, but I I have to say the best impact that I felt ever in my entire life was when I did decide to retire that my replacement teacher was a former student and that that was the icing on the cake for me. I'm going to get a little emotional here. I really feel so strongly about this school, the education that my my own children got that hopefully I gave you know, you get up in the morning and you're driving into work and the whole time you're praying, please, God, let me make it make a difference in someone's life. Help me not hurt anyone. That was always my prayer. Please don't let me hurt anyone with my words, actions, whatever. And I think um, most of those teachers in the building going into th- to school every day are saying the same thing to them. They want, you know, you never mean to say anything bad to a child or, or hurt them. And, and you always wonder, did it, my words, you know, hurt them or help them? Because sometimes even a harsh word can be helpful to a, a specific student. You never really know how all this goes. So you do, you have to leave, leave your desk in the evening saying, Lord, I did my best. It's up to you now. And let me tell you a real quick story. Uh, I was reunited with my eighth grade teacher a few years back uh, after I produced and directed the 40 film. I actually brought the film and showed it to all the Sisters of Christian Charity in the convent. And I brought a photo from eighth grade with all the kids in the class. And she autographed it for me and she wrote you get an A. So, wow, you know, you just never forget uh, the impact of some of, of, of our teachers, uh, you know, from uh, Catholic uh, education. You remember them, hopefully. I've had several students come, um, come back to the classroom when they visit after they've been in high school a while and they come in, they pop in and say hello. It's always a heartwarming experience. And just getting random emails, um, miss you or whatever. It's, it's just very heartwarming because it's not just about the education, is it? It's about teaching that whole child and developing a relationship with them. It's so important. They're not just cogs in a machine here. We're talking about the value of each one of these kids in the classroom, what they're going to be, who they're going to become. And, you know, there's a big responsibility on your shoulders knowing that, you know, you're, that one year with you is, is impactful in some way. 
And it's it can be scary and intimidating. But well, you know, like your like your like your beautiful verse this morning about not being afraid. <laughs> you know, you can't scare me. I'm a teacher, right? Absolutely. Um, there's uh, so much to talk about. We have a few callers uh, that are joining us here uh, th- this morning. I wanted to get real quickly your thoughts on the, the fact that something that we've seen here in in the last few years um, of. Uh, Catholic parents uh, trying to avoid uh, wokeness that is out there in the world and enrolling their children more and more in Catholic schools uh, to get out of that wokeness. Yes. <laughs> I think that's it's a big plus that um, the Catholic schools have to offer. We are not seeking division. We're seeking unity. And I think people strive for that. You want a common goal. I think everybody wants that in your life and structure. Um, I think even uh, as adults, we thrive on structure. And what better structure than the Catholic Church? I mean, it's been there for 2,000 years. There's a there's a, a specific structure. There's also a u- unifying um, belief in God, in a higher power, in, um, you know, in life everlasting, and that you're going to have to also, there are consequences to your actions, not just here, but in the next life. You've got you've got purgatory teachings that um, are pretty strong that you know promote people to be good here, and you're not going to get that in a public education setting where they're just promoting all this divisiveness. You know, just everybody's separated. You've got this group here and this group there, and I don't know what all your goals are, but I know in our Catholic Church, our goal is to get to heaven. You know, that's that's the bottom line. Absolutely, Carol is joining us uh, this morning. From uh, Southwest uh, Wisconsin. Good morning, Carol. Welcome to Morning Air. Uh, you're on with uh, Ann Flynn. Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I went to St. Mary Mother of God School in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, and I absolutely loved it. Well, I so much appreciate you sharing with us, uh, uh, Carol. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of folks out there. Uh, love uh, their Catholic schools and can never uh, forget them. And uh, I know that, uh, and we've seen this uh, time and time again. Yes, it's it's, um, it's good to hear that of the good experiences. And, but you know what, we I know that there are some people that have had bad experiences in the Catholic school, but we want to extend, you know, to everyone that you are always welcome in our schools. We are always welcome to participate um, in your ch- via your church, your parishes, um, come and see what we're about. Even if you've had a bad experience, come and check it out again because um, maybe some things have changed. I know even my husband has had some experiences with the nuns, you know, <laughs> being a little harsh. But if you think about it, back in that day, he said they had like 50, 60 kids in a classroom. You had to lay down the law, you know, with with so many kids. Um, so I know some some people had come into our classroom when we gave an open house tour once, and one guy said, "Oh, I remember that closet. I was in that closet." <laughs> oh, wow! It was very funny, but that's that. You know, it's it's there's definitely been a culture shift, of course, and it's a kinder, gentler place. And it, but I think even in public schools, there was some some harshness. I remember going to a public high school and um, having some of my teachers be pretty rough on some of the students, but that just, that's of course shifted away, but there's a lot of love to be had in these buildings now. And I'd, I'd really encourage people to come back to the, and check out your local Catholic school. 
Cindy has a story uh, about her um, emotional experience uh, with her education. Cindy joining us this morning uh, from San Antonio, uh, Texas. Uh, good, good morning, Cindy. Hi. Um, I went to St. James Celeste Catholic School in La Crescenta. And um, when we, I was hoping I could hold it together. <laughs> Anyways, when during Christmas time, you know, the nuns, when we were young, this is probably first, second, or third grade. The nuns would put a basket or a little bowl of cut-up straw next to the manger, and they encourage us to go inside the church. <laughs> I knew I was going to get emotional over this, to pray, you know, like a Hail Mary or something, and then you could put the straw in the manger so that at Christmas, baby Jesus was warm. And... um Every time, you know, we do the joyful mysteries and you're supposed to focus on Christ's birth, you know, for the third joyful. I always remember that um, Catholic school experience. I mean, I know other people have complaints, but this is like my absolute favorite memory of Catholic school. And I mean, I was one of those kids that went to school way back in the day. I'm 66, you know, and I'm a retired preschool teacher. I understand what you're talking about, how things have changed between when, you know, from back then until now. And I agree with you on that. And I don't know, the nuns for me were kind that I remember. The lay teachers were harsher. (laughs) Thanks, uh, Cindy. Your thoughts, Anne? We know this. We do the exact same thing. We have that manger and we have the straw pieces. And when the children do good deeds for one another, they get to keep Jesus warm. So trust that that tradition continues to this very day. And I use that with my grandkids. And it is what a fabulous memory. Thank you for sharing. Great story from Cindy. We go to Indianapolis. Catherine is joining us. Good morning, Catherine. Uh, You're on with Ann Flynn. Hi, good morning. Yes, I just want to uh, talk about my um, story about uh, being a single mom. And I think it's been a blessing for me raising two boys on my own. Um, it's It's been a challenge. And I encourage everyone to please think about sending your kids to, uh, to Catholic schools because they'll um, you know, help your kids with those values that they that they need. So I have an older son who's 18, thankfully, and he's now in college, and he has those values. So please think about it, um, sending your kids to Catholic school. It has helped me a lot. Thanks so much, uh, Catherine. Uh, a- any thoughts, Anne? I just would, would totally agree with Catherine. She. She hit the nail on the head. The, the values that are taught in the Catholic school are second to none. And I, I, it does reverberate through the, the generations. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I would also highly recommend it. I had my own kids there, so I can, I can attest to both as a teacher and as a parent. Another thing that we saw after uh, the uh, lockdowns during the COVID uh, pandemic was uh, more and more uh, uh, children being sent to to, uh, to Catholic schools. Uh, again, we've seen an in- increase in enrollment. So obviously, uh, a lot of parents out there see the benefit of Catholic schools. Absolutely, there's no question. We we had so much more freedom during that pandemic. Yep, it was 
it was a fantastic, um, actually it was a good experience because, you know, we could show our true colors and how we aren't afraid and how we have that faith in God and that we trust him and his providence in all things. Uh, final moments, uh, a final word, even for parents who might see it uh, as a financial burden. It, 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 obviously, it's expensive to go to a Catholic school, but maybe some words of encouragement uh, of, of the importance of that sacrifice. Uh, worth every penny, and there, and ask, ask your, ask your pastor, ask your print school principal. There is oftentimes aid. And for those that do have, my suggestion would be to please give. These these schools are running on on air. They don't have the big budgets that a public school has, so donations are critical. And you can even do something as simple as if you shop on like an Amazon or some other places, offer an, a, a fund that you can uh, apply to your purchases to, for example, Amazon Smile. You can pick your um, school's choice. And that was my conversation on Catholic Schools Week with retired Catholic school teacher Ann Flynn, who joined us from Florida. We need to invoke St. Thomas Aquinas, the patron saint of students, and pray for the continued success of Catholic schools in America. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League, will be with us to talk about how the abortion reverse pills actually save babies. So stay with us. We're just warming up as Morning Air continues on this Thursday here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. We can make a difference. Welcome back to Morning Air on this first day of February. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Gabby in for Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And write down our number and save it on your phone. If you want to be part of the program, it's 888-914-9149, Now, this morning, we're going to talk about the abortion pills, which now account for over 50% of all abortions. As the abortion pills started to become more available through pharmacies, telehealth, and other organizations, we now know so much more about uh, all of the dangers and the risks for women and babies. But there is hope. Those abortions can be reversed, and uh, a child's life can be saved. Joining us live uh, from the Chicago area is a morning air regular contributor, Eric Scheidler, uh, for uh, much more on how the abortion reverse pills can save babies. Eric uh, is the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League based in Chicago. He speaks frequently on pro-life activism, religious liberty, marriage, and the family to audiences across our country. Good morning, Eric. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, It's great to be with you uh, once again. Great to be with you, John. Thanks for uh, the opportunity to talk about this extremely important topic. Absolutely. You know, be, before we we uh, get into the details of uh, the uh, abortion reverse pills, can you explain to us just overall, big picture, the dangers of abortion pills in general? Well, the abortion pill completely changes the experience of abortion for a woman. Instead of the abortion taking place at an abortion facility, where if something goes wrong, at least there's a, the opportunity for emergency services to be called. 
um, where you have a sterile environment, at least in some cases. We know a lot of abortion facilities are actually unregulated and quite disturbingly unsafe and unhealthy. Um, it sends the woman home with, with a pill. She takes one pill, mifepristone, at the facility, um, it, typically. And then uh, a day or two later, she will take the second pill, misoprostol. The first pill, mifepristone, um, causes her body to stop making progesterone, which stops feeding the baby, basically starves the tiny little embryo uh, in, that's growing in her body. And then the second pill, misoprostol, causes intense uterine contractions, and it pushes that now dead little tiny embryo out of her body like a very, very heavy period. Now, a lot of times that period is so heavy that it's the, people say it's like the worst. Women say it's the worst they've ever experienced. Over 58, 58% of women getting this abortion pill say they experience severe pain. I remember one case I read about a woman said that blood clots the size of lemons were coming out of her. Oh, my goodness. They talk about, exactly, talk about bleeding for days. One of the most distressing things about these abortions, aside from the excruciating pain, is that very often the woman actually can see the embryo herself. Sometimes it's even alive still and wriggling in her toilet or in her sanitary pad or even in her hand. I've seen pictures of women holding these children um, that have, have been starved by the first pill and then expelled by the second pill. It's an extremely distressing experience. And our, our volunteers and workers at, at our thousands of pro-life pregnancy centers across the country are hearing these stories. So we have the media talking about, you know, reproductive rights and these pills seem so sanitary and safe. And in fact, there are multiple complications, blood clots, there's um, hemorrhaging, uh, urine rupture, sepsis, uh, even deaths have happened. The FDA has stopped tracking these things. They get this, John, you're not even going to believe this. In 2016, they stopped tracking for any um, complication other than death. They said, well, the only thing we're going to look at anymore is death. And then fast forward to the Biden administration. They say, well, look, there haven't been any complications. So we can go ahead and make this pill available for more weeks of pregnancy, for more women who don't have to see a doctor. Maybe they could do it through telehealth. They can have them sent in the mail, all on the basis of the health risks not being there that they stopped looking for. It's really that crazy. That's how twisted the politics around this particular um, dangerous medication has been. And that's why a group of pro-life um, obstetricians and gynecologists and emergency room doctors uh, are suing the federal government over how this pill was uh, approved. And we hear the media saying, oh, the, they're, they're making it political. The FDA is an objective, independent organization. How dare they? Well, the fact is the FDA has been biased and pressured by politicians from Bill Clinton on uh, to open up this dangerous mifepristone. This, this, uh, uh, RU46 is another name for it. Mifeprex is the, is the brand name. But this dangerous abortion pill, uh, we're trying to roll back the, uh, the bias and the prejudice and the politicking uh, by requiring the FDA to take an objective look at this. So that's it's a little bit of the review of what's going on with this pill, how dangerous it is, and how you know, legally fraught the whole process has been. And if anybody had a, a, a chance to uh, to see the movie Unplanned, uh, you would see on the big screen uh, Abby Johnson uh, uh, going through her experience of uh, the effects of the abortion pill uh, in, in, in very uh, unbelievable fashion. That's right. You know, that, that film really opened a lot of people's eyes, even mine. I mean, I knew about the pill. I'd read about it. I, you know, I knew the academics of it. But to see the dramatization of the actual experience you know how bloody it is and how excruciatingly painful. 
that film doesn't exaggerate at all. That's exactly what that experience is like for so many women who are being lured into taking this pill. Well, there is hope, as I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, Eric, uh, how does the abortion reversal pill offer uh, hope uh, to uh, pregnant mothers uh, who have begun this uh, two-pill chemical abortion uh, regimen? Well, as I mentioned, that first pill, mifepristone, RE46, mifeprox, different names, that first pill uh, causes a woman's body to stop making progesterone to to nourish the baby, to to tell her body to, to provide all that nourishment through through the walls of the, of the uterus and through the placenta. The way to reverse that is to simply give high doses of progesterone, uh, sometimes in pill form, sometimes in a suppository form or in uh, injection form. It depends on the particular case and timing and the doctor's protocol. But this heavy dose of progesterone is effective as long as the second pill hasn't been taken because there's this period in between. It's a, a day or two sometimes, maybe even three, where the woman is... is can still reverse it. She takes that first pill, and very often the act of taking that pill brings a lot of regret. So one of the things our sidewalk counselors at abortion facilities are there to do is share this information after the woman has taken that first pill and is leaving the facility. It's not too late. Because it's not too late. You can get enough progesterone into her body before that second pill has been taken. There's a better than 60% chance that that baby will be saved, and over 4,000 children have been born this abortion pill reversal protocol. So this is a very uh, tested, proven method, despite all the propaganda from the other side. They keep saying, well, there's no double-blind studies. There's no this, there's no that. Just because something hasn't had the most rigorous possible study, largely due to the lack of funding for a thing like this that is so inexpensive and so out of the protocols and narratives of the the, the liberal medical establishment, uh, doesn't mean it's not true. You know, everything is, is a... You, you know, you do you do your your anecdotal experiments first. But this this pill pill has been studied a great deal by pro life obstetricians. We have growing records. We have we have been fighting states. It's interesting. You know, one of the things they've tried to do is to to actually legally block doctors from using this medication. They tried that in Colorado, but as soon as they do that, then you get to start bringing evidence into court about the actual effectiveness of this. And so whereas the scientific journals may block you out or not give you a chance to publish in the court, you have a constitutional right to defend yourself. And so you're able to bring all that evidence in. So we're seeing victories in the, more in the scientific realm, you know, effectively happening in court as we fight some of these efforts to stop us from saving babies this way. And the biggest victory are the 4,000 little babies uh, that actually got to be born uh, through this reversal mm-hmm. pill. I want to invite our listeners, if you have any thoughts or if you have any questions on the abortion reversal pills, uh, or do you know anybody that's had to deal uh, with these dangerous abortion pills, we'd like to hear from you. We're taking your calls for Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Eric, I, it seems to me like education is super important. People need, women especially, need to know of the availability of these abortion reversal pills. Well, let me give listeners two ways that they can be prepared to have those conversations and spread the word. The Pro-Life Action League has two publications to help with this. One is called The Abortion Pill, What You Need to Know. And if you go to prolifeaction.org and click on our store button, prolifeaction.org, and you can see a little Pro-Life Action store button, you can get a packet of those. Um, to put in the back of your church, or even to pass around in your neighborhood. You could even go out to a local pharmacy where most likely they're not distributing these pills yet. There's only 19 in the country where you can get these pills at a pharmacy 
Um, fortunately, Walgreens and CVS have not yet started to stock these. They've had a lot of trouble. I think they're pretty reluctant to actually start doing it. But that would be a great opportunity, you know, just put them under the, the windshield wiper blades, go door to door, passing those out. The other is our handbook, Sharing the Pro-Life Message, where we've expanded our coverage in this new 2024 edition uh, to cover more about the abortion pill, how it works, how it's um, you know, become the most common abortion method, and how this abortion pill reversal is available. So that you're equipped, and you know, you've got to have the knowledge yourself so when this topic comes up, you're able to share the truth with people, and the Pro-Life Action League is there to, to help you do that. Another uh, big uh, news story uh, this week, uh, it, which is quite surprising, it comes from Germany, uh, where they're proposing a, a law to ban people from praying outside of abortion cl- clinics. And <laughs> obviously, this is uh, one that hits home for you, Eric. It sure does. I've actually prayed outside an abortion clinic in Munich, Germany, um, and, and it was one of the strangest experiences I've had as a pro-life activist. I was there with my good friend Brian Kemper from Stand True Ministries. And uh, we were traveling to be part of the March for Das Leben, the March for Life in Berlin. Uh, and then we traveled down to Munich and went to visit um, a pregnancy center that we had a connection to and then went to the nearby abortion facility. And we had to stand on opposite sides of the streets. We prayed the rosary and we would each pray a decade, you know, kind of agreeing that we were praying it together, but we couldn't really hear each other across the street. And then we would switch decade by decade because it was illegal have more than one person praying at a time outside the abortion facility. Who came now, up with that bright idea? <laughs> well, the, the, the city fathers of Munich. Unbelievable. And sadly, yeah, and sadly that process, uh, that restriction started to spread around the country, uh, and now they're proposing to, to ban it altogether. So but we really need to pray for our friends in Europe. They don't have the kind of vibrant, vital pro-life movement that we have here in the United States. You know, there aren't hundreds of thousands of people listening to a radio program like Catholic, uh, like Relevant Radio and Morning Air in Germany right now. Um, we need, they need our prayers, um, and they also need our support. I mean, uh, more and more, some of the pro-life legal firms like Alliance Defending Freedom have been operating in Europe. So the pro-life movement here has been so successful. You know, we should be really proud with all the battles and the victories and the losses and all of it. We've created enough of a, a machine of defending the pro-life movement, fighting for our rights in courts, that we're not helping in the courts of Europe. So that's a, a hopeful sign, but things are still pretty grim over there. Um, so what about here in America, me, Eric? You know, I want to assure people that as bizarre as it may seem to hear something like that coming from Europe, we have robust First Amendment rights here in the United States. Uh, we are able to go to abortion facilities with not just one, not just two, but even 100 people. You know, I've, I did the math once. If every person who believes abortion is wrong, just plain wrong, were to spend one hour every, every year outside an abortion facility, there'd be hundreds of people there every hour. So um, my, my encouragement would be to take advantage of our rights. If you haven't been out to an abortion clinic and seen what happens there and prayed and seen the women going in, come out and, and pray. Go to prolifeaction.org and find out how you can get involved. Less than a minute. I know you've got the uh, Pro-Life Action League annual Lenten prayer campaign coming up uh, uh, in less than two weeks on Ash Wednesday. Uh, Real quick, um, uh, tell us about it. Well, you know, every year we have a special prayer intention. This year we're focusing on unwanted abortions. Uh, I don't have time to explain the whole process right now, but if you go to prolifeaction.org, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up for emails, You'll be the first to hear on Ash Wednesday what our prayer campaign's all about. We're focusing on women who are being forced into abortions they don't want, women who are being you know, pressured into abortions, 
women who regret the abortions that they've had and feel it wasn't what they should have done. We want to help them with our prayers. And I'll be sharing more about that if you go to proaffection.org and sign up. As always, I uh, really appreciate your insights. Uh, many blessings to you. Keep up the, the, the great work. Uh, thanks again, Eric. God bless, John. Eric Shadler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called Too Fast, Too Slow, and Just Right by Joseph Mazzella. One summer day when I was a little boy, my mom, dad, and brothers were away, and my nana was busy watering her flowers around her house. That left me alone inside with my mom's old record player. It had three speeds on it, 33 and a third, 45, and 78 revolutions per minute. Each one was designed to play a different type of record. But my childhood curiosity was making me want to see what would happen if I played some records on the wrong speed. My mom didn't have any 78s, so I took a 33 record out and set the switch on the side to 45. What came out was hilarious. The music was going super fast and sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunks on amphetamines. After a minute, though, it lost its charm, so I took out one of Mom's 45s and set the switch back to 33. What came out was painful to listen to. The music sounded like it was being dragged through the mud, and the singing sounded like miserable moaning. I quickly switched the speed back to where it was supposed to be and listened with a smile as the beautiful music came out just right. Sometimes my prayers remind me of that incident with the old record player. Sometimes I'll rush through my prayers as I rush through my day, hoping God will hear them as I hurry along. But in moments of great pain and suffering, I'll pull the prayers out of myself slowly and miserably, hoping God will heal my soul. My prayers are the most beautiful and effective, however, when I take the time to say them peacefully and happily. They bring me closer to God, warm my heart, and fill my life with thankfulness, love, and joy. They're like having a talk with a dear friend who loves me, and they help me to sing my own life's song. May all your prayers be just right. May they help your heart to sing. May they fill your soul with thankfulness and joy. And may they always help you to love. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Uh, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, uh, Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the, the Bishop of the Diocese of Albany, New York, will be with us to talk about Lent and the different ways of almsgiving, not just money, but giving your time and presence as well. Plus, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will join us to discuss tomorrow's feast of the presentation of the Lord Jesus in the temple, as well as the upcoming World Day for Consecrated Life. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come on this Thursday in hour number two of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app.